Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right. Episode six is upon us. We are the Coaching Chatter Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. Joining me, as always, are my two awesome co-hosts coming to you live from Mount St. Rainier in Washington State. It's Craig Ladd, <laughs> and I think he just got a uh, starring role in a Hallmark in the newest Hallmark Christmas movie. It's Kurt Page. How are you guys doing? Doing well, fantastic, man. And that intro would only make sense if you could see us, which uh, that might be something in the near future um, that you that you could be able to do. Uh, so streaming options are definitely on the table. But uh, no, nonetheless, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, anywhere you find your uh, podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at CoachBurton36. You can find my other shows, uh, the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast, uh, the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast, and of course, uh, right here on the Coaching Chatter podcast, uh, you can find these two, uh, Soar Athletic Training, uh, a, a new business venture that's uh, going to take off in the very, very near future, so be on the lookout for that. It's going to be the next uh, big thing, not only in Tennessee, but I think in the southeast um, eventually. So, um, guys, wh- where else can we find you on, on social media? I'm at uh, at D Craig Lad on Twitter. You can uh, see me there. You can find uh, Kirk Page at Kirk Page six two nine and look for us on Soar Athletic Training. Uh, we're going to be on all the social media there, and uh, just looking forward to getting our new announcements going to be going out for 2021. We got an exciting year coming up planned. Yeah, a lot of big things. A lot of big things. The first camp I thought was a huge success, um, but that's a different. That's a different topic for a different show. I, I think we've got an action-packed show today uh, for you this week. Um, a lot of things happening in the world of coaching in the SEC footprint especially. Um, and there's a few things happening uh, around uh, around the country as well. That's a little bit outside of our footprint that we may get to if we, if we have time. But um, a lot of topics. Shane Beamer getting hired at USC. Uh, Gus and... Gus Malzahn and, and Jeremy Pruitt not really making a, a name for themselves. They're kind of making uh, life difficult for their bosses. Uh, the Vandy situation, where, where does it stand? Uh, talk about uh, Dave Cutcliffe, what, what's going on at Duke. Is, is he kind of towards the point of retirement now? Is you know He looks exhausted every time I see him. Uh, and then uh, this, this thing at Ohio State and then the unraveling at LSU. So let's get started with that. Actually, uh, LSU, if you haven't heard uh, that there's a huge, huge mess going on in Baton Rouge, uh, you have players opting out. I think you had seven opt out this week, uh, including five star tight end Eric Gilbert, who I think I've heard is rumored to be on the move to Georgia. I think he I wouldn't be surprised if he transferred over to Georgia. Then I think BJ Ojolari, I think, is looking to transfer as well. Uh, that would be another huge loss for the Tigers. Uh, there's some sexual assault allegations uh, happening. Uh, there's some recruiting violations. They have taken a self-imposed bowl ban after only three wins. Kind of, uh, that's really going out on a limb there. But uh, needless to say, guys, the bottom is starting to fall out on Coach O. Well, you're right, Corey. You know, you you talked about uh, going to the basketball situation. Of course, you had the recordings of Will Wade. Uh, 
that have been uh, that it came out during a uh, uh, court uh, proceedings uh, against Adidas by the NCAA that was very damning and actually cost him some uh, games back uh, uh, during last basketball season. They had suspended him, but he's back. He's the current coach now. I don't know how he can get away from those uh, recordings. They were pretty damning. And then now uh, the football program, of course, you know, the, the big thing, as you, you said, uh, you know, they have all they, – the self-imposed ban, bowl ban, uh, just came out just uh, late today. And then also uh, – you know, they had uh, already voluntarily reduced uh, scholarship count by eight over the next two years. Uh, so they've done a few things. But, I mean, you also need to mention, too, there's a there's a booster uh, that was a CEO of a hospital foundation. And uh, he uh, basically embezzled funds uh, from that to pay student athletes. Uh, one of those, uh, it's being reported by the NCAA that uh, one of those uh, back in 2012 range for employment 2012 for the parents of that football student athlete and paid the father $180,000 for a no show no show job. Well, it's it's very unfortunate um, just to have a it's really putting a disgrace on the season they had last year. We all know it was a remarkable season uh, with Oboro and just the way the everything came together for that one Cinderella season, and it looks like the, I guess twelve o'clock has struck, and the, they had turned slippery. And it's uh, really unfortunate uh, to see all the bad things that have turned out since that season, and uh, just the misfortune they they sure didn't handle it very good, like champions. And uh, it's really disgraceful for the SEC, and fortunate for Coach Ogeron. Uh, to be part of that, and, uh, and I guess when you're the boss and you're in charge of everything, you're going to going to go down and uh, you know uh, serve the consequences of, of their crimes and what they've been doing illegally. And uh, hopefully, uh, they'll get to the bottom of everything and get it ironed out and uh, be able to move forward. But it's going to be a lot of muck. I mean, it's just the start of it. They say. Oh yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get uh, even worse before it gets better uh, down there. You know it. It would be surprising if if Coach O survives another couple of weeks um, as as the head coach at, at LSU. And to be honest with you, I don't know who you get uh, to replace him at this point with with all this mess happening and uh, and, and sanctions that are going to come down, uh, recruiting impact that's going to happen with people not wanting to you know treat it like it's a toxic environment still. And and so I I don't know you know I don't know what direction they go. I, they're, they're at a they're not even at a crossroads right now. Um, and I think they're still approaching the crossroads and still driving through the storm. And it's, it's, you know, you feel bad for the university. You feel bad for the players because I don't know that they asked for any of this, but, um, and that's why probably a lot of them are opting out. And so I think it's going to be, it's going to be something definitely to monitor as, as we go and, and try to, you know, and right now it's, it's still a mess. They're still unpiling it. They're still, unraveling it they're still unfolding it whatever whatever adjective you want to use whatever descriptor you want to use they're still trying to sort through this whole mess and trying to figure out what's what and and still trying to figure out what the ncaa is going to do um how many more players are going to opt out and then you know what are you going to do post ed orgeron 
because obviously, uh, and, and if there's if there's some things that can happen before January, they can fire him with cause and not have to pay his buyouts or severance or anything. They can just fire him and say, see you later. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the national championship. Now uh, you can move on. And so I, I think it's uh, they're, they're weighing those options. So there's a lot of things still at play for this LSU situation. So it's going to be one of those, hey, let's monitor this thing as we go. Sort of reminds me a little bit of the Auburn situation several years back with Gene Chizik. You know, he, he wins a national championship, and what, two years later, he's gone. They fire him. Yeah, that's a great point, Craig. Uh, you know, he, he won the championship, and then he was out. Uh, so who do, who do you look to, guys? I mean, what do you all think? Or is there somebody that I you mean, bring? I mean, if Napier's still around, okay. if Napier's not nabbed up, I mean, just come right down the road. To uh to Baton Rouge and, and try to rebuild the the brand of, of of LSU. I mean, do what he's done for uh for the Raging Cajuns and, and just take that and implement it down in, in Baton Rouge. I think that would be a wonderful hire. I think you just got to get somebody that is going to be able to build a program from 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 the ashes because that's what it's going to be. I mean, you're essentially going to have to burn this thing down. And, and the difference between Chizik and, and and Orgeron, which is a great point as far as comparison's sake, but Chizik just fell apart coaching wise. He made a few bad hires and, and had some guys leave and, and just, just couldn't, you know, he had a once in a generation player in Cam Newton and capitalize on it. And then he didn't really have much else in the tank. Ed Orgeron is just basically going completely scorched earth and just destroying everything around him intentionally or unintentionally. It doesn't matter. Everything around him is falling apart. Um, he made uh, outside of all the crap that happened off the field he made really bad coordinator hires, uh, especially with Bo Pelini. I mean, he completely ruined his defense by hiring Bo Pelini. I thought that was a that was an awful, awful deal uh, with him. I I think he made a mistake of not trying to find another Joe Brady type to go with Ensbinger because I thought those two worked really great as a pair uh, because where Ensbinger was weak, Joe Brady was strong, and vice versa. Where the lack of experience that Joe Brady had, Ensbinger was able to bring that to the table. And Ensminger was an alum of LSU, so he was able to kind of bring that aspect to to the program. And he still is, but he needs that little extra layer of support from somebody like a Joe Brady. And so when you don't have that and your offense is used to that, you know, there, there's going to be something missing there. And, and when, when your best player opts out and says, yeah, I don't really want to come back, um, that, that's not really a good look when Jamar Chase is like, you know, he, he was all in and then all of a sudden he's not all in. Something happened. Um, there's some politics involved too. Like his his, you know, I think there's a I think things are falling apart in Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy because of his whole deal with OAN and and supporting Trump and all that stuff. I think there's an aspect and element of that with 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 uh, with Ed Orgeron. You know, I, I think there's some some non-buy-in in the locker room. I just it, it just it was just hard for me to believe that he was a long-term solution in any scenario. I think it took him to have a perfect storm, kind of like Gene Chizik. You're never going to see him long-term lead a program, and he didn't. And Ed Orgeron's not going to either. So it's unraveling. But I think you go get somebody like Billy Napier, or you go get some young, hungry group of five coach uh, that's you know maybe like a Will Hall who's been at Tulane, uh, you know, who's just took the job at Southern Miss. Um, and so I think you go go and get somebody like that and, and try to figure out. I, we got to get a young guy with some energy and, and a guy that's going to be here for a while. So, 
Well, you know, it's an attractive job and it's going to get some top line candidates for it. For so many years, it was a sleeping giant. And then it took Nick Saban to really turn things around. And since then, it's been on an upward climb. But uh, as I said, it's an attractive job. Uh, The recruiting in Louisiana is fertile. You're right there next to Texas which is also fertile territory uh, for you. You can get up into Arkansas, Mississippi. Uh, So this is – you can win a lot of football games uh, at LSU by just recruiting the state because it's that strong. And then, uh, you know, Texas pretty much. So it's going to get a lot of attractive candidates for this job if it comes open. Uh, Does Dave Aranda come back? Pardon me? Does Dave Aranda come back? Do I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I, um, you know, it, I think also you have to look at the fact that, that it might scare off some people because of the impending what we think will be NCAA infractions imposed on the program. So that's going to be – that's going to hurt them too. So if you, you know, on, the, on paper it's a very attractive job. But if you're um, – you're in the NCAA doghouse, then you're going to take your lumps and uh, it's going to make it that much harder to get yourself back up into a national championship contender if you're losing scholarships and have other sanctions. Absolutely. I think Dave Aranda, you know, having success at Baylor, you know, we've got to see how successful he has been there. Uh, he followed a, a great coach and Coach Rule who's – making a name for himself now in the National Football League. So we know that guy can coach. So it's an adjustment for him. He's going through at Baylor. Um, you know, if it, when, when and if it opens up, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a lot of attractiveness to a lot of people. But as Craig has mentioned, uh, you know, it's going to be – plus you're in that West, you know, you're in the SEC West. I mean, you guys, we all know, you know, that's, that's – Alabama's the kingpin there. And so it's going to be a tough one there. Uh, I mean, you got. I mean, the, the West is reemerge. I, I don't know if they ever fell off, but they're reemerging as as a as a dominant power because now you have Jimbo Fisher who's woken up at Texas A and M. You have Lane Kiffin who's starting to sprout up at Ole Miss. You have Mike Leach who's going to be very very pesky at Mississippi State. You have Sam Pittman who's going to be very pesky at Arkansas, and and then of course uh, you're sitting there with LSU who, if they hire the right guy, they can get right back in the thick of things. And you know about the coach O. Let's let's be quite honest. Coach, if coach O, the the, I guess the baggage has followed him everywhere he's gone. So you know when you hire him as a head coach, you got to know that the possibility exists of something blowing up in your in his face. You know, I know when he was at Tennessee with Lane Kiffin, the word was you know when they ended up the mass exodus was, um, you know. It, it probably wouldn't have taken it long when Tennessee would have been in probation because of the antics that they were doing there. So the baggage has followed him. It's not like this is the first time I've ever heard anything going on with Coach O. And we all know he had a rough run at uh, Ole Miss, you know, and all of the video where he's ripping his shirt off and beating beating his chest and the guys are, uh, you know, it, it's like a us against them mentality. but. Uh, you know, it, it just um, – that's his personality and that's who he is. And like you guys said earlier, you know, like you're going to get what you get and that's what they've got. And so they had a great season and kind of just need to keep it, keep it moving, I guess. 
And this is the old, eight, old age old question, okay? You dance with the devil, you get a national championship, but eventually it comes back to haunt. Yeah, the is devil's collector for sure. Is it worth that risk to get a national championship? That's what all these ADs are, are, are t- determining all the time. LSU said yes, obviously. Yeah. And, and um, they're not the only one. No. Auburn said yes back in 2010. They're still paying for it. Um, they had that one year in, in 13, but they're essentially still paying for for uh, making a deal with the devil. So, um, new coaching hires. Uh, speaking of new coaching hires, Shane Beamer was named the uh, the head coach at the University of South Carolina. I have mixed emotions about this one. Um, obviously, he has a good pedigree with the with the family name, the Beamer name. Uh, he did a great job when he was at South Carolina. He's done a good job everywhere he's been as an assistant. But he's he's been a special teams coordinator, um, which I think is an important role. Um, but you know, in the eyes of a lot of people, it's not really an important role it, unless you're an offense or defensive coordinator. And you know, he's never really had that. He's been you know uh, some some different places, and he's kind of been one of those under the radar guys. So a lot of people are scratching their head uh, at this hire. And I'm still honestly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. You know what what went on as far as did did a lot of did a lot of other candidates that have previously been head coaches have they declined was it a money issue you know how, how did you get to Shane Beamer on your list when there's a guy right up the road in Myrtle Beach that uh, just beat who everybody thought was uh, a shoe in for a playoff spot uh, just beat them um, in probably one of the best games of the entire college football season um, where was the offer to that guy? Uh, who's in your state? Uh, where was the offer to Billy Napier? Did he turn it down? Uh, did they not like him? You know what what was going on with that South Carolina situation? Not saying Shane Beamer's a bad coach or a bad choice. It's just I think there's some people out there that could take this level of an SEC job um, and 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 run with it. And so it's just just unfolding the situation. Um, and then prognosticating how how I think or how we think that Shane Beamer is going to fare at South Carolina. What, what how do we how do we see this unfolding? Well, I'll say this: apparently, he impressed a lot of people during his tenure at South Carolina. I think they also like the fact that he is a, an excellent recruiter. Uh, they want him going head to head against Dabo and getting some of those kids out of South Carolina that that. Are big time recruits that they've been losing out, losing out on. You know, Tennessee in the past has gone in and and uh, got good ball players from South Carolina. Albert Hainsworth, for example, was from South Carolina. But you talked, Corey. You talked about the fact that he's special teams were. I don't really have a problem with the fact that then a lot of people I've heard this of he he's never called plays. I don't have a problem with that. I, I'm a firm believer in. You're only as good as the people around you. I'm a firm believer in hiring people that are a lot smarter than I am. And I think if you do that, you get your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, then, then you don't have, I don't have a problem with the fact that he's never called plays. That doesn't bother me a bit. Well, I think he was on the staff with Steve Spurrier. So if I'm, if I'm right about that, I think he was. So he he's was, seen he was a, the, ball, the old ball coach call plays. And, and he's been with Lincoln Riley, too. Yeah, and he's been with so, – so, so I think he's got – you can check that box off. He's seen 
good play design. You know, he's been around those guys. He's been in the room. Uh, he had a title, I guess, this year of being either the run coordinator or pass coordinator for offense. Uh, he's been he's been more active in that role. But I think the number one thing is Craig's talking about it. He's his number one gift to South Carolina will be recruiting and getting those players and going head to head with Dabo and and surround. I'm sure he knows the guys to get that are really good recruiters that can get out there and uh, put the put the time on the road and get to get get in the homes and get where you got to get uh, during this pandemic because they've got to get with a lot of players. Uh, you know, for this cycle, they're, they're probably behind, obviously, but for the future, they've got to get in these 10th grade homes, these 11th grade homes, and and he's been down these roads before, so he knows, and he's got, as we mentioned, his dad uh, coaching for decades in that in that area of the country, so I think he's got a, a great leg up on a lot of, a lot of people. It was puzzling that uh, Coastal Carolina coach um, – didn't didn't uh, but you know he may he may be waiting on something you know a lot of guys uh, they're you know from that group of five they sometimes they sit back and really wait for the one they want to go after so uh, it was a it was a you know he he came he came from the he came from the dark horse you know mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah he definitely uh, came from the dark from the horse job and getting mentioned and then he just built the momentum so I think he think he probably had a great plan going into it and uh, it, it'll we'll see uh, you know. Uh, South Carolina's never had the greatest players. You know, they get to three and maybe a four-star, but uh, you got to do more with less, and uh, we'll see how well he does. Well, let's run down what he, what where he's been and what he, what he's done. Um, first of all, your number one recruiting priority is Gunnar Stockton, uh, the quarterback out of Raven County, 2022. Stick with him. Get him to commit and sign. Um, that's priority number one because he's going to be your franchise quarterback. Um, but, you know, you look at, Family, his dad built a program from the ground up, basically at Virginia Tech. Turn them into, turn them from a program that just played football a little bit at a at a technical college to what they are and the reputation that they have. The reason why that's a popular job now is because of Frank Beamer. The reason why special teams is so glorified is because of Frank Beamer. So there you go. Um, his time at South Carolina, he learned uh, from from Spurrier. He learned. Offensive play calling, he learned game planning, practice stuff, uh, everything that Spurrier was good at um, at Florida and, and during his course of his uh, time um, in college football. Uh, he's, he's soaked that up a little bit. And then he then he went back to Virginia Tech, obviously, for a little while. And then he went to uh, Georgia. He learned, really, he got uh, he went to the recruiting academy. Him and Sam Pittman uh, were, were charter members of the uh, Kirby Smart Recruiting Academy. And so... I think that's where he got a lot of his recruiting chops. And then he went to Oklahoma and, and kind of learned as a young, fresh head coach who had really not been a coordinator long. I mean, I wouldn't really say Lincoln Riley was a was a major coordinator for very long before Bob Stoops said, okay, here's a job. Here you go. Take it. It's yours. Um, so I, I think he kind of learned uh, a lot from Lincoln Riley and kind of how to build a program on the fly and, 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 Really take a program that should be achieving better than it has, um, you know, kind of like that Ferrari that's been stuck in first gear. Um, so he's learned a lot in, in, in that regard. So, uh, so Craig, I, I think if you piece together all of that stuff with Shane Beamer and you take those 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 parts, I think he's done a good job of spreading his career around 
to figuring out, okay, I need this piece. I need the recruiting piece. Okay, got that. Bam. Okay, I got special teams piece. That's an important phase. I'm going to hire great offensive and defense coordinator. Check. Okay, uh, program development. Okay, Lincoln Riley. Check. Steve Spurrier. Check. All right, uh, brand-new coordinator hire from Kirby Smart. Check. Came in from day one. Okay, um, so he got a lot of a lot of things going uh, and, and a lot of things going. So, Craig, I, I think, you know, I don't know what you were about to say there, but I, I think it's, you know, I think ultimately it's, it, it could – Work out for for South Carolina. I, I think if they're patient with them, uh, it, it could end up paying dividends. And it's all going to come down to strength and conditioning, offense, and defense coordinators. Those three hires are going to define his tenure at South Carolina. Would you agree or disagree, Craig? No, I, I agree with that, uh, Corey. There's no doubt that uh, those are, are are huge hires for him. And as you said, will determine his his success uh, and longevity at South Carolina. And what what I was going to say is, you know, here recently, it's you know, it used to be if you had a head coaching job, if you had a job open, you wanted a guy with head coaching experience. Now it's kind of changed. Uh, and and you mentioned it, Corey. All all the the uh, different coaches that uh, Beamer has has coached for. A coach with, I should say, and you know, it's become now who you know who who is your influence? Who who have you coached with versus head coaching experience? For example, Jeremy Pruitt at at UT, you know, the 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 Saban tree there. So it's kind of come for, full circle with that. Joe Judge, <laughs> Joe Judge is a great example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it used to be like I said, it used to be these were you wanted you know the the assistant coaching jobs were at the lower level. Uh, college positions, you know, that's what they got the assistance and the bigger, the power five, we're going after a South Carolina, big state schools. We're going after guys with head coaching positions. This seemed to have changed here in the last few years. And, and it's interesting to see, you know, how the, the dynamic of that and will it change back again? Who knows? It's all well, one thing about that is uh, the pay, the payout for these coordinators. I mean, an offer, Defense coordinator in SEC makes, uh, by and large, will make more money than a group of five head coach, you know. And so I think I think that's the, that what you're paid is the value in that position. So any of these guys that we're talking about that are looking at a, a, a power five job that's a group of five head coach, you know, pay payout wise, they're less now than coordinators. So you know, depending on what conference you're in and that type of thing, and, and and also your pedigree, too, as the head coach of a group of five. So there's a lot of things to balance it against and look at it. But I think the the value in hiring coordinators and guys that have been at the big show, if you will, I, th- I think that's uh, kind of gaining momentum. I think it's a great point that you brought out there, Craig, and, and Corey, talking about all the different places and kind of putting a puzzle together, you know. Uh, so he has experiences and he has influences where he's been impacted in his coaching his coaching experiences. And and had it not been South Carolina, um, I, I don't know that Shane Beamer was going to get a head coaching opportunity. Maybe Vandy, I don't know. But I, I think with his contacts that he made uh, during his time at South Carolina, I think really helped him uh, with this administration. They, they already had a basis of of knowledge on him, you know, what he brought to the table. And of course, it was up to him to to knock down the rest of the pieces and and go and get this job. So, you know, if he can be successful, 
all, by all means, man. That you know that that would be great for the league. That'd be great for the University of South Carolina. Um, that would be great as a balance of power in that state with Clemson, uh, because there's no other school in in South Carolina that's on that level, um, even even coastal or yeah. Saying say that, Corey, but, I think that's a great point that they that they know they know a little bit about. Well, they know a whole lot about him. He's he was there. Beamer was there at South Carolina. Parlaying that into like Vanderbilt. What do you guys think about Vanderbilt? They know there's a couple of candidates that we've talked about, you know, leading into that one, you know, that some people in Nashville should know about uh, the guys that we've mentioned the last couple of weeks. You know? So what do y'all think about the, the, the likelihood that the, the hiring, the, those that are going to do the hiring at Vanderbilt take the same card that South Carolina, maybe they know, you know, as we mentioned, what we mentioned, Will Healy and Clark Lee and there's some other guys too. So y'all think maybe, what do y'all think about that? What do you think yeah, about that? I, I think it paid, you know, I don't, I don't think it necessarily is guys that they know of that was at Vanderbilt, but kind of in the area that they kind of had on their radar previously. Uh, like Will Healy, obviously being in Austin P, you know, they know his recruiting impact and what he's kind of left uh, that program to be. Clark Lee obviously was a player there, but this administration doesn't know him as a coach. So, um, you know, that's, you know, that kind of goes out the window. But, you know, again, he's a Vanderbilt alumni. He gets the situation and they feel like he would be a good young fit uh, for that program. I I don't know uh, where they stand with Billy Napier. I don't know where Billy Napier stands now. Uh, There's some other uh, opportunities at play. Maybe he kind of falls off the radar there for for Vandy, whether whether it's a mutual uh, deal or not, I don't know. But uh, Craig, I, I think um, you know we talked about Barry Odom over the over the group chat as well. You know where does he fit in as a, as a candidate? Uh, this administration does know him as an opposing head coach uh, from his days at Missouri, which mixed results there too. Um, he had some ups, he had some downs, uh, and ultimately I think kind of got the raw end of, of the deal there um, at Missouri. Obviously they're doing great now; they're ranked with Eli Drinkwitz, but again. Um, he might be a second chance guy that could really capitalize on that second chance. Well, guys, according to footballscoop.com, uh, ah, the scoop, Jeff, yes, Jeff Fisher and also Bill O'Brien have expressed uh, interest in the job. Of course, Bill O'Brien, former Penn State coach and Houston Texans coach and GM. So that, that was an interesting name that's popped up there. And then also, also the word sources have said that, uh, uh, that uh, Vanderbilt has interviewed Clark Lee, of course, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, former Vanderbilt player. He has been interviewed for this position. And also uh, uh, supposedly they've discussed the position with Jamie Chadwell. Word on the street is with him is he wants to wait until his season's over. And, and I can't say I blame him. Uh, I wouldn't jump the gun either. Uh, you know, uh, his, his, his stock is rising. It's red hot right now, especially after winning uh, against BYU recently. So, I mean, he's going to be a hot commodity, and the more Coastal Carolina wins, uh, the hotter of a commodity he's going to be. So I, I don't really blame him for waiting on that. And, of course, I think Will Healy's another guy that uh, Vanderbilt is, is either going to talk to or has talked to. I think he's, he's an interesting guy to go with. Uh, Another name that's popped up with a great pedigree is Buffalo coach Lance Leopold. Uh, supposedly yes. he has some interest uh, in, in that job. And then, 
You know, uh, Kurt and I talked hard. about this the other day. Uh, a, a guy that that has some connections with uh, Deputy Athletic Director Tommy McClellan uh, in the Vanderbilt uh, College Athletics Administration uh, through Louisiana Tech, where he used to be, and that's Skip Holtz. Okay. Um, Skip Holtz, who's at Louisiana Tech, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I get, uh, I get him and uh, Dykes confused. Dykes is at uh, SMU. Um I think I think Skip Holtz would be good. I think Lance Leopold would be a home run for somebody. Uh, I don't know what connections he has to the Southeast, um, but I, I think he would be a great great fit. I don't think you need. I don't think Vandy needs to go the pro route, like with Bill O'Brien and Jim, you know Jeff Fisher and those guys. I, I don't I don't know that they need to go that route. I think they need to. I think they need to go like somebody who's going to be like really hungry and and really kind of. Even more long term than those two, like Bill O'Brien, I think would be a terrible, terrible hire. Uh, I think he'd be a terrible fit for Vanderbilt. I, I, I don't see that lasting very long. If because you want to talk about a guy who went from being GM and head coach to you know to the Vanderbilt situation, I don't think he would last. He would go nuts. Um, but Car- like guy like Carl Lee would be great. I think Lance Leopold making the jump. I really like what he's done at Buffalo. I'm surprised he hasn't been in more consideration for other jobs um, previously. Uh, but I think he would be a good hire. I think Skip Holtz would be good. He, he could reunite with uh, with uh, Todd Fitch as, as his offensive coordinator. Uh, those two have done well together. Uh, they've every, every time they've been together, their offenses have been extremely productive. Every time they've been apart, Todd Fitch's offense has been um, mediocre at best. But uh, yeah, that would be a good fit, I think. Um, you know, I don't know where I stand with Barry Odom. I kind of go back and forth with that. Um, but I, I think you know they got a lot of good names on the radar. I just you know for Vandy's sake, I hope they they figure out what they need and what they don't need, and, and try to prioritize their interviews uh, in, in that regard. So who knows? Well, I think one good thing they're early enough to. You know, I think it's 15 that are on their list. I think they've done – they're going to try to do 15 uh, Zoom interviews, and uh, that's what they're trying to do is what I've been hearing. So, And all those names that Craig has mentioned, I think those are people that they're, 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 they're opening every box. I mean, they're turning over every stone, and they're trying to figure out what could be the, the magic, you know, bring the magic back. So, um, you know, just – you know, they have to really – get to know these personalities and, and the, what's going to be a great fit and how these people are going to surround themselves with a the staff and who they're going to bring in and what type of, uh, what type of energy they're going to bring. And, and uh, they have the best news out of all this is they've committed. I've heard close nearly to, and we've all heard this before. And uh, I just, I got to believe this has got to happen this time over. I think it's over 200, over $200 million into, uh, up, upgrading all the f- facilities there at Vanderbilt. So I think upwards of $275 million actually is what I've been hearing. So that's an unbelievable amount of money, but that's what's, on, that's what's uh, been talked about. So if they can do that, I think, I think that's, that gets a lot of interest with a lot of coaches and more so gets in interest with players. If they can see new, new facilities going up and upgrades, and that'll help them recruiting because it's bottom line and they got to get players in there. 
Yeah, no doubt. And they got to get players what, what in there. Guys, I, I see this guy. What do you guys, you know, people, people are, you know, they're scared to death of the academy coaches. Jeff Monken, for example, Troy Calhoun, you know, because of the offense they run. But you know what? Those guys are winners, and they run that offense because they have, I'll quote, unquote, less talent. Uh, you don't have to be that big, and I've, their offensive line is not nearly as big as any of the Power Five teams, but they know how to block. You don't have to be a powerful blocker in those offenses in order to be effective. And I guess I go back to this because of Vanderbilt. We all know that Vanderbilt doesn't, you know, just for various reasons, not only the academics, uh, their recruiting talent's not up to, I'll say, Alabama, for example. What do you guys think about an academy coach? I think if you're going to go after – I don't think Niamatololo is going to leave Navy, so I think he's out. And I think the only one you go after is, is Monken. Um, and I, I think the reason why people are so hesitant is because of what Paul Johnson was able to do or not do at, at Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, he had two really good seasons where he went to the Orange Bowl, but outside of that, it was surrounded by uh, it was surrounded by really, really abysmal seasons um, and, and a lack of recruiting. Uh, I guess they feel like if Jeff Monken was ever going to move on from Vanderbilt, that he would leave them in a situation to where they couldn't, where they couldn't recover uh, for like five years, uh, trying to, trying to re-recruit out of the triple option system. Um, so I, I think it's just a lot of run game, not a lot of passing, a lot of one dimensional stuff that I think people are scared of. I think it would, I think it would fit Vanderbilt really well. Um, I, I was always kind of proponent of, of going and getting somebody like Willie Fritz, who <clears throat> kind of blends the air raid style with the spread option. And I think he does a good job of being having an explosive offense down in Tulane. And I don't think people are are lumping him in with like the the standard flex bone uh option that, that people associate with, with that type of deal. So um if it was me, I would probably be more apt to go to go after Willie Fritz than I would a Jeff Monkin because I think he's a little bit more Diverse than Monken is, but then again, Monken had a had a decent run, had a pretty good run at Georgia Southern that led him to that Army job. So it'd be interesting to kind of see how he adjusts uh, to to the league and to the to the SEC because you're going to have to make some of you can't you can't step in and do exactly what you're doing at Army at Vanderbilt and expect to be successful in the SEC. Uh, you're going to have to do some different things, but uh, it'd be interested to see if one of those academy guys could. And I think out of the three academy guys. I think Jeff Monken has the best chance of really being able to adapt what he does to to a league that is more apt to stop that. Well, I, I think um, a few years back, you guys probably remember Watson Brown, uh, his last tenure there. I think he tried to go to the wishbone, and uh, it really takes a it really takes a while to get the guys in that system, and you got to recruit to that system, and people. People are not really aware of how the Naval Academy and how Air Force and how Army, they're able to recruit an enormous amount of number of players over the limit of 30. So they have an Army prep school, a Navy prep school, and Air Force prep school. So they'll sign 90 to 100 guys going to be freshmen. 
And so they whittle that group down to 30 uh, after their freshman year. So that's their signing class. So they, they sign, it's, 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 it's kind of a skewed, it's a skewed system because they sign 10, they'll sign eight to 10 quarterback types and then they'll sign 20 or 25 halfback types. Now, if Vanderbilt can do some of that, because you're going to miss on some of those guys, that's the problem. I think going to and having, and you know, it's just the recruiting is going to change drastically for, you know, for those guys when they go to a, you know, when they go to a, a Division One program that doesn't have that capability. United States Air Force, United States Army, they have, United States Naval Academy, they have, that's how they sign a lot of guys because they can put a lot of guys in their Navy prep or Army prep program. So you got to really know the back, the back roads of their, some of their advantages, as is like BYU, some of their advantages. They sign a lot of freshmen, and then that freshman class, they go off from on the mission. They don't count against them. So then they come back, and they're 20, 21 years old, and they're now a redshirt freshman, you know. Uh, so that's an advantage the BYU program has. So Fairbrook has to figure out kind of what, you know, we got to get it. We got to have figure out what's going to be our advantage and, uh, and try to stick to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, if you can do anything different than what the other teams are doing, and that was why Woody Woodenhofer was so on defense when he was there. He did a – he had a slant tackle, ran the old Pittsburgh defense. So whatever we come up with, uh, you know, uh, say it's a gimmick or it's got to be different than what the other guys. You can't run what Alabama runs because you don't have Alabama's personnel, you know, and so you're going to have to figure out what to do. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, one of these creative coaches, um, what, they, what they do and what they can do different that are really – should be able to highlight the Vanderbilt student athletes on that field. What about someone like a Graham Harrell coming in uh, with like the Mike Leach type system? Graham Harrell from USC. Yeah. Um, he, uh, uh, he, he is a, he is a Mike Leach student. What do you yeah, guys think, think about him? Yeah. I think he's, he's doing great. You know, the, the, the challenge is getting somebody who's got to have a really, you got to find somebody that's really accurate in their throwing and uh, mm. that type of thing. And so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if, if there's uh, – and there a lot of people are really high on the kid that's there now, the freshman Ken Bills from Texas. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see how, how that develops. Oh, Kenny Seals. Yeah, they, they've been impressed with him. I, I think um, you know, I, I think for continuity purposes, uh, the, the name that Craig brought up was, was Skip Holtz. I, I think – you know, I think he's done some good things at Louisiana Tech. I don't know long term um, how good he is at, at building programs and things like that. But I, I think for continuity purposes for this offense, who it was starting to kind of figure some things out, maybe uh, they were starting to have a little bit more success. Uh, I think reuniting him and Todd Fitch would be uh, something beneficial for Ken Seals um, as well, or could be beneficial, um, you know, as, as a way of kind of getting. Uh, some some of that already already planted uh, learning base. So uh, there's a lot of good there's a lot of great candidates out there. Again, I think the I think the 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 moral of the story here is you you got to find somebody who's creative. You got to find somebody who's in it for the long haul. And you got to find somebody who's willing to stay in, stick in, build the program, uh, take your lumps, understand that things are going to be rough for a couple of years. But I think once you kind of get your 
your program firmly established. Like, I think another model, they sh- there's two models they should really be looking at as far as building a program. That's the University of Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall and what they've been able to do. And you got to look at Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. You, you've got to look at those two as like your model program for what Vandy needs to try to accomplish and the path they need to take. Because I think if they can do that and they can replicate that and they can find somebody that could be their version of Pat Fitzgerald or something close, maybe, maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be an alum, but some, somebody kind of like that in that same mold, I, I think you're in great shape. And your program is going to be in great shape because Pat Fitzgerald's done a tremendous job at Northwestern in building that program. I think, you know, recently the new chancellor has come out and said that they're going to really pour money in, into the football program. And, and Kurt mentioned it before, you know, we've heard that before. Let's hope it happens this time. And, and, and with that, I think it's imperative that they get their number one choice. The guy that they really want, I think they need to get him. In order to get him, He's going to have to have assurances that there's going to be a huge upgrade to the facilities. There's also going to be a huge upgrade in the amount of money that is pooled for their recruiting budget. You've got to have those assurances in order to get your number one candidate. I think you want your number one candidate and you don't want to settle for someone. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good point. I tell you, just sitting there brainstorming, I really like the push that Lovey Smith did. I guess it was two years ago or last year, maybe. My, my uh, pandemic uh, mind is kind of – but he had a graduate transfer. I think he had like 25 graduate transfers. Do y'all remember that? He had a big yeah. Juco push, I think. Okay. Uh, so At Illinois. Yeah, so Illinois. I, I would think at Vanderbilt, if there's a way to have – uh, uh, some attractive programs, and I think we probably do have these attractive programs, but if you could get to a place where some graduate transfers would come to your place, an older, you know, get some guys that have played uh, three seasons, especially now with the pandemic, you know, you're getting that season back. I mean, I try to figure out a way to uh, have, be creative uh, in starting some uh, programs within your program to attract some of these players. Because they're going to have, they've had so many opt-outs, but you probably possibility you've got to be thinking of how they recruit uh, certain guys that have left other programs. I mean, and come up with a system real quickly here, and hopefully someone behind the scenes is coming up with that because I think there's going to be a huge need for that because so many players have not all of them can go to NFL, you know, not all of them going to be NFL ready players, so they're going to look for a year or two to play and what better conference to play in than the SEC. Maybe Vanderbilt can get behind uh, some type of a new uh, regime of trying to be attractive to get some more experienced players in there, at least older players. I think that'd be advantageous. Yeah, definitely. They need to hit the JUCO market and the grad transfer market. So um, regardless, I think there's a lot of things happening within this Vanderbilt program. So um, let's, uh, let's shift gears. Let's talk about – uh, we can kind of do a, a, a two-for-one here, buy one, get one free. Uh, Gus Malzahn, Jeremy Pruitt, they're, I kind of put him in the same boat here uh, because Gus, we he was on the hot seat, then he's not on the hot seat. He's on the hot seat, he's not on the hot seat. He's off, he's on, he's off, he's on, he's off, he's on. He's really good, then he's really bad. I think this is his fourth season in a row that they've lost four games. 
Um, so, and then Jeremy Pruitt, just things are really just getting going from bad to worse with him. But uh, I, I think with Pruitt's situation, I think he's going to get a chance to make some changes offensively. Um, and I think Buck Gus may survive because his buyout is still really high. Uh, so, what? W- Kurt, I'll start with you. What what are your what are your situations? Who, who seats hotter, Gus or, or Pruitt? Um, I would say from from the outside looking in, it would be Pruitt, but I'd say internally, I say it's probably Gus Malzone. Even though the bout's huge, I think uh expectations are much higher for Auburn than they were at Tennessee. I think people knew Tennessee was a you know, had been through a lot. Uh the number of coaches they've had to leave there. Uh uh, but uh, but I, I think Gus is you know this year you know he had his he got to hire the offense coordinator he always wanted and and I just think it's uh, you know his is probably hotter but you know there again you know he does have a franchise quarterback you know they feel like Bo Nix a sophomore he can play and, and win games he's he's incredible at home they go on the road it's just just uh, the, totally the opposite both sides of pendulum with him so I'd say it'd be Gus Malzahn but I think both of them right now. Looks like they're probably gonna they're gonna survive this, you know. I think they're gonna be back. I think both of them will probably be back. Well, I think a lot too depends on uh, Hugh Freeze. Uh, it's been reported that the two jobs he covets are Auburn and Tennessee. Uh, does that mean that Auburn or Tennessee pulls the trigger in order to get Hugh Freeze? Uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out too. I don't know financially if Tennessee can afford that. Uh, because they're still paying Butch Jones. Uh, yeah, they'll be done with that in February. Yes, uh, and they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to pay out Pruitt, and they're gonna pay Hugh Freeze an inordinate amount of money. So you, you got for at least a month. You're probably gonna have huge money going out to three different coaches, two of them uh, who don't even coach with you anymore. So. That may, in this COVID era, may play a factor into it. Hugh Freeze just might chill for a minute and just say, okay, Tennessee's not going to make a move. Auburn's not going to make a move. I'm cool here at Liberty. Um, I don't have to force anything, so I'm just going to chill. So there's a lot of factors at play, but I think for Pruitt, definitely, definitely, definitely got to get rid of your offensive staff. I think you got to start over there. There's no excuse for what's going on with that quarterback situation. And the fact that you've completely wasted Eric Gray um, there and, and wasted his talent and production. So just the whole situation of you know putting Harrison Bailey in and taking him out, putting him in, taking him out, and, and doing the quarterback carousel thing, that makes no sense to me. Harrison Bailey's your guy. He's your guy for the future. Play with it. Go with it. Live and die with his mistakes. You, I mean, you've won two ball games, So, I mean – Really, like winning a third ball game is going to get you what? Nothing, probably. Nothing special, at least. Of course, in COVID, everybody's bowl eligible, but still, you, you win three out. You, you go three and seven versus two and eight at that point. You know what difference is it? If you got a freshman quarterback who's getting live reps, what difference is two and eight and three and seven? Yeah, honestly. Well, as a fan, if you were just watching that Florida game. Uh, you come out with with the fact that J.T. Shrout looked better than Harrison Bailey uh, as far as moving the team, the way the way he uh, was throwing the ball and, and how well he ran the team there towards the end of the game. So, I mean, just just from 
just from that perspective, you got to say that Trout looked better than Bailey did in that. Now, I don't understand the why Brian Maurer came in for just certain plays, came in for one play, and, and then went out. I know one play he came off. He came out and just handed off to Eric Gray. I, I, it made no sense to me whatsoever why you bring him in for one play, then take him out, and it's a running play. Uh, to hand it off to, to, to the running back. I, I don't get that. You know, I, I'm with you guys on this. If you have four quarterbacks, that means you don't have one. That's basically exactly. it. And you didn't develop those guys well enough because, I mean, Strout's not consistent enough. Harrison Bailey is just still obviously still very green uh, in, in what he's doing. Uh, and you can see flashes of, of what he what he can bring to the table, but he's just not there yet. Uh, Maurer is completely he's, – he's calling out fans, uh, telling them get in the arena. And then you have Garantano, who's a walking turnover. So, I mean, what do you got? You know – Roll with the kid. It, all, all things equal, roll with the kid. You know, everything equal, unless JT Stroud is he, head and shoulders above Harrison Bailey, roll with the kid because he's a freshman. You got to get him some live reps. You got to figure out what you can do with him. I think ultimately he will be better uh, for the team in the long haul, and I think that's what you got to kind of go with. But it's not going to matter with this offensive staff because I don't think they're going to be around to really experience that. Um, now, on the Gus Malzahn side of things, I, I think Auburn fans have kind of reached their peak with him. They know where his ceiling is, and they know he's going to take them. He's taken them as far as he's going to take them. Um, he had that one magical season in 13 where he took them to the national championship, uh, finished runner-up to Florida State. Uh, hasn't really done much since. Um, has had a couple of seasons. He had he made an SEC championship appearance. Uh, winning the West in 2017, but outside of that, it's been two, three, four losses every single year. Uh, a lot of disappointment, a lot of like start the season really bad, end it playing Alabama really tough. Uh, and that's kind of been his calling card, and kind of been what's kept him kept him afloat. He finally gets an offensive coordinator he likes. He sca- I think he scapegoated to Rhett Lashley to be honest with you, because um, I think Rhett Lashley's doing pretty well down at Miami. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors involved with with Gus Malzahn. Do I think he's a good coach? Yes. Do I think he's Do I think he's the right fit for Auburn? Not anymore. I think he's I think he's got to be done at Auburn. He probably won't be. He's probably just good enough not to fire and uh, not good enough to be to really get Auburn where they should be with the talent that they have. I mean, you have Bo Nix, Seth Williams, and then you have two really fast guys in Eli Stove and, and Anthony Schwartz. You shouldn't be losing four games. It it just should not happen. They, they should they they have too much firepower on offense. Tank Bigsby is one of the best running backs in the conference. There's no reason you should be losing games with those weapons offensively. Kevin Steele's done a tremendous job with his defense. There's no reason you should be losing games the way you're losing them with that kind of talent. And that's what frustrates me about Gus Malzahn is that he does find ways to lose games and disappoint you with that kind of talent. And that shouldn't happen, especially in this league. When you're recruiting, when you recruit as well as they do, you shouldn't be this bad and this poorly, uh, and play this poorly at times. You shouldn't be this in, inconsistent. So, Kurt, I, I think you know when you look at the inconsistencies, I think that's where you've got to kind of judge him. 
is are they, you know, where can you take us long term? Okay. We, we, we've already picked you apart. We know what you bring to the table. Can it sustain long term? Yeah, I think that's the that's a big big question. The player, I guess, what you're getting to is player development and making sure that you're putting these guys in the right position to be successful, and they do have the talent to to make a a dynamic elite offense. And with the addition of Tank Bigsby this year as a freshman from the state of Georgia, uh, you know he's he's had a little nick, nicked up a little bit, but they haven't uh, they haven't scratched the surface with the things he can do, and uh, you know, they've got to get there. This will be a big test for them this Saturday night playing Mississippi State. If they were to stumble their toe there, I, I could see a lot of things getting changed if they put on a good show there. You know, this is the first time they've ever had a season, and thanks to COVID, I guess, um, to play Alabama and lose to Alabama and still have a few games left, you know. So that that's going to be key to see how they do this Saturday night against Mississippi State. You know, Craig, I, I think, you know, when when you look at their defense, you know, they're, they're led by Smoke Monday, uh, but they have a lot of guys that play really well together. And I think Kevin Steele has kind of really put together a great unit that plays hard for him. Well, I think you can look at Tennessee's problems. You can look at Auburn's problems, and, and they're the same. Quarterback. Uh, inconsistent play at quarterback is has cost both of those teams – you know, I thought Nick's played very well against Texas A&M. Now, he has played horribly in some other games, uh, and they've lost. One at South Carolina, a loss that should never have happened. Uh, we've seen how woeful South Carolina has been here down the stretch. But, you know, poor quarterback play has hurt both Tennessee and Auburn. And, uh, you know, it, it, you got to have a quarterback. Uh, I mean, it, if you look at Alabama – and you look at Florida, the two teams are going to be in the SEC championship game, and they have two of the best quarterbacks in the country. And that's where it all starts. LSU problems. Where does LSU's problems? No quarterback. Joe Burrow's gone. How, how can you have anybody to follow up behind Joe Burrow? Yeah. they, they have, uh, LSU's case, they have nothing. Um, they have nothing to hang their hat on offensively because everybody that they had that they could possibly hang their hat on had opted out. So – um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, let, let's jump outside the footprint for a second. Um, again, I feel like this is a weekly occurrence right now until he leaves. It's, it's the Jim Harbaugh segment um, where uh, somehow Jim Harbaugh is, it, it just makes his way into our show. Um, Michigan is, is, is back in the headline. Uh, it is guaranteed that they are not going to lose to Ohio State this year. Why? Because the game got canceled due to COVID. Um, and what happened? Well, <laughs> the Big Ten said, we're not going to be left out of the playoff. Uh, Ohio State, it doesn't matter how many games you play or don't play. You're, you, can be, you can be eligible for the, for the Big Ten championship. It's okay. We need you in the playoff badly. So uh, they bent their rules uh, for Ohio State because, A, Justin Fields is a Heisman candidate. Uh, B, they're a playoff contender, as you can tell by the rankings. And see, they have an actual. I think they have a legit shot at winning the college football playoff if they are put in it. Um, now, whether or not it's fair that they only play four games and get in, and the other teams play ten and, and have to have to contend with all that, uh, the fairness of that, you know, that's a different topic. 
but you know, if, if you look at just what Ohio State brings to the table, they're just as dangerous as anybody. So, what are you guys' thoughts on on the Big Ten bending to to Ohio State? If I'm if I'm Indiana, if I'm Northwestern, I am irate right now. I'm not surprised at all, and and I really don't blame them. Uh, you know, uh, similar to what the ACC did with uh, Clemson and Notre Dame, they want they want their horses in 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 the uh, championship series, and and I don't blame them. Uh, you know. The, the prestige, the money that goes along with having a school win the national championship is worth its weight in gold. I mean, it, it's I, – I, like I said, I'm not surprised by it at all. Now, do I think maybe just because of the fact that, that Ohio State has going to be having less games than any of the other possibilities that are going to be in that championship ring, should they be penalized for that? I, I think it needs to be looked at a little bit because – Obviously, you're going to have a team, we'll say, for example, Alabama, that's played the game number of games they have versus the number of games that Ohio State has had. Ohio State has a distinct advantage because they're not nearly going to be nearly as beat up as teams are that have played 11 games. Well, I have to throw this out. Uh, just the way I love the way BYU and Coastal Carolina got it worked out. They couldn't, they couldn't, you know. Coastal couldn't play, play Liberty. Liberty, too many COVID. Just yesterday, Texas A&M, they can't play Ole Miss. And Ohio State couldn't play Michigan. I wish they would have got together and let's go Ohio State and Texas A&M. We're going to meet up and play. Conference said nope. I just think, I yeah. think that's wrong in these times. I think both of them needed a game and both of them needed to play. So I think they should have been able to play. Even a neutral site, you know, meet it. Go play in Indianapolis, and you know, in you know, Hoosier Dome right there. I wish, yeah, I wish I, that pulled together. I'm, I'm I with you too. BYU, I commend BYU for doing what they did. They just they sent the 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 truck and started going before the the deal was even signed up. They so all take off, head towards South Carolina. And, yeah, uh, and, and so. they didn't care, and, and they would have played Washington had the Pac-12 allowed it, but Pac-12 said no, so. Uh, they had to move on to Coastal Carolina. And, I, and <laughs> it's crazy that, like, you come into the coach's office, it's Wednesday, and you're playing Saturday and say, oh, yeah, by the way, we're playing Coastal Carolina, an opponent that we've never played before. We have zero film on them. We have no reason to prepare for them. Let's prepare. And you saw that game was a lot of fun to watch, by the way. that You saw a game that had just about every sort of scenario you could have. You had uh, a, You had a brawl. Or, uh, yeah, scuffle. They, I guess attacked, they mugged the quarterback. Yeah, they mugged <laughs> the quarterback. You had yeah. crazy turnovers. You had dominant run game with with uh, with Marable, uh for for Coastal Carolina. You had physical defense. You had uh, through the air passing, and you had a goal line stand at the end of the game uh, to preserve a win as time expired on the one yard line. To, to preserve a victory for Coastal. I mean, you had it all, man. It, it was it was like two boxers that got in the ring that never that never seen each other before were just wailing on each other for four quarters. And it was awesome to see. And yeah, those two teams had something to prove, and they played like it. They really did. You're exactly right, Corey. Uh, they, wanted to sh- they wanted the national spotlight to be shown on them, and it was, and they played like they wanted – to get respect from the national media, from the college football fans, and they played 
the way that uh, I, I should say they had something to prove. Uh, we want to show what we're like. We want to show that we're a good football team. And it's a shame somebody had to lose that because it was, man, it was it was good. Um, so, but let, me to- ask, let me ask y'all a scenario that may happen here. And a lot of people, I don't, I don't know, hopefully SEC's thought about this, but what if Florida gets COVID the week of uh, SEC championship game? Does A&M get to go play Alabama for the rematch? That would be interesting if they're they, they their SEC West versus East. They should take one and two, and yeah, really the second place team in the SEC is Texas A and M. They should be playing. A&M. I, I think A and M should be the sub. Yeah, I think that should happen. Will it happen? Probably not. Yeah. Um, it, it would probably go down to Georgia. I think they would select Alabama to represent the conference in the bowl championship series. In in the 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 bowl championship series, I think it's what they'd do. They'd say, okay, we're selecting Alabama. To go, you're you're the one. Congratulations, I, I just don't see them playing another game. I think they would just let. Well, I mean, no, the game, the go. game. Say COVID. Say COVID gets Florida. See, the yeah. whole thing right now is Ohio State needs those data points to be a conference champion. So that's why they they're making concessions in the Big Ten. I'm saying the SEC. If Florida cannot play because they're the East, they're not the second best team in SEC. So they're the third best team. So I'm thinking, what if COVID hits and that they cannot play? So now Alabama, they declare the SEC champion. They won't have the data points. They'll probably knock down. They'll knock them down. Let Clemson beat Notre Dame. So it's going to get really – it can get really crazy, you know, what, what, what might happen. Or, That's what well, viewers want. You know, what could get crazy is if, for example, Florida beats Alabama. It, it, you know, those two are go. They, Clemson beats Notre Dame. You say those two teams go. There's your four. Where's Ohio State? Somebody's going to get left out in that scenario. Who's it going to be? Let's see if a and if A&M Ohio State played this week, we'd already know, you know, one of those teams to get left out for sure so there wouldn't be a playing game. So Yeah, I just think the Big Ten has so much to lose, though, in in that scenario. They they lose their bell cow, their their team to have a chance to get into the into the into the playoffs, and they're never going to let that happen. Yeah, well, I think it's a. I'd love to see it. It's going to get interesting. I don't think I don't think we've seen the last of. I think some crazy. I think something we haven't even discussed yet could happen and may very well happen. Yeah, well, no, Alabama there's... gets COVID and they can't play the championship day. Does A and M get to step up and play Florida? Yeah, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if they're in the, let's say, it gets to the national championship game and one of them gets COVID and has to stop? Oh, well, they'll, what's they'll just there. <laughs> that game be played. That game could be pushed all the way back to March. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the craziness of it is. I agree well, with you. Part. I don't first. think we've seen the last. <laughs> I don't think we've seen the last of the no. craziness. I really don't. I'm, I agree no. with you. We're we're still we're still at the tip of the iceberg right now, uh, with with the craziness. I think it's going to be absolutely insane. I think you're going to end up. I think this is going to force the uh, FBS to to really reevaluate their system. Um, and this would be a good fun, uh, I guess, down the road off season show like. When we when the coach when all the coaching dust settles and we're sitting here in March going all right well we guys want to talk about we can actually reconstruct 
the postseason for uh, for FBS and F and uh, or actually yeah for FBS uh, P five and G five. So um, there's there's some ideas that I have about it. I really 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 and you guys will probably say no, uh, Corey, you're you're that's a terrible idea. But I really 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 like the way FCS does it with the playoffs. I really enjoy because you get some great matchups. You get eight teams that have a bye. You have 24 teams, 16 play the first week, 16 play the next week, and then you whittle it down from there. And so I I think it gives a lot of teams shots, which people are going to say, well, they don't deserve a shot. Well, you can make an argument for eight different teams. You know, this year you have, uh, you know, the four that we talked about, right? So you have Alabama, Florida. This this would bring Florida back into the mix, and it would be for seeding purposes. It would be for travel purposes, buys, or would be in play like conference champions get auto buys. You know, you take your you take your eight conferences, right? You take eight conferences. There, there's eight. There's eight total conferences. P five and G five, right? Right. Is there? I, I, uh, so no, you got all right. Let's, let's count them out. You got ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, Pac twelve. So that's five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you got five group of five. So, so then you got. Uh, American, mm-hmm. Cusa, Sunbelt, Sun Mountain Mac, West, and the White. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So, American, um, Mac. You got the Mac. Mac, the Mac. Yeah. So, uh, so you got you got ten conferences, right? Yep. So you take, I don't know, you take eight of those. You, you you take your top eight teams. You take your top eight conference champions, right? Give them auto buys, and then you match up everybody else that's not conference champions uh, by by ranking. You know, as far as you know, you take you know, you, so you then you would be able to include Ohio State. You'd be able to include Oklahoma, Florida, A and M. You'd be able to include USC. You'd be able to include some of your some of your dark horses like Cincinnati, Coastal. Uh, th- those teams would be involved too. And so you'd go down the line. And so I think it'd be really interesting to kind of see how that would play out because you get a team that's really hot at the end of the season. They can't really play themselves into anything because they're stuck in the freaking Alamo Bowl. I'd love to see it. Uh, The more the merrier as far as I'm concerned, I'd love to see it just sort of like an NCAA tournament. I mean, that's my favorite thing to watch is the NCAA basketball tournament. I think it's great. I love it. Here's the problem. The Power Five teams are not going to let the non-Power Five teams get in there and take away from a potential team that's left out of that tournament that's a Power Five team. Not going to let it happen. They don't want to share the wealth. They control. They have all the power. And, And don't be surprised if they break away from the NCAA. I think it's going to happen. They're not going to share. Guys, It's they never have share. They don't have to share. They're not going to share. No. And it, it would be kind of cool to have 18 playoffs from G5 and P5 and just do it high school style and, and have two national champions within well, FBS. I, I mean, I you know, the scenario I brought up with five teams, who, who are you going to drop out of those five that I mentioned, Alabama, Florida, uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State—all five huge programs. 
which five, which of those five are you going to drop out from the playoffs? Which five? Whichever one you're going to drop out is going to make that conference extremely angry. And I hope, as a result, they expand the playoffs. Yeah, because it's not – I don't think it's a true national champion. You at least got to get the conference champions involved and a few at-large teams. At the the bare minimum, eight – I think eight – it, it is is where you start. Uh, you you get your you get your five champions, and you can do this on the G five level too. Uh, so you can have two national champions. So you get your five conference champions. So like, at a G five, let's say you get Boise. Um, who, who's give me a Cusa team? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, you get Marshall. Mar. So you get Marshall, Boise, UCF. Buffalo, all right, and yeah, that's five. Uh, you get those five teams, right? They get they're in because they won their conference. That's just hypothetical. Then you get three other teams like you know Cincinnati, Memphis, and Nevada. They get in. You know your your three highest rated G five teams. Let's go. Same with Power Five. You take your five conference champions, right? So you take USC. Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Take those five teams. Then you take your A&M, Florida, and whoever else would be the that 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 eighth team. I don't know who I don't know who that would be. Yeah. Maybe maybe. Maybe Iowa State, Iowa State, State or mm-hmm. Northwestern or Indiana or, or yeah. somebody. You know, you, you yeah. take your take your next three best teams, and you rock and roll. That would be a great scenario, I think. So, um, a lot yeah, of good things. All, a lot of we good all things grew up with bowl with all the different bowls, and I've seen a lot of stuff where they talked about making it so the bowls are part of a national championship, and you could make it certain bowls for the. The group of five and certain bowls for the power five and pitches to the TV. And I think the NFL has taught us how to set up a great tournament and, uh, and they're yeah. going to expand this year with wild cards. So they're, yeah, they're adding an extra wild card. card. Yeah. So it just, it just, you know, football people want it. And uh, I think it's really going to, things are really going to change this spring when they see, some of these other conferences that waited and they're going to play and people are going to start wondering like, well, maybe we can, you know, we've always, uh, I think football is just going to get stronger, you know, and mm-hmm. they got to come up with more. They got to, they got to really think outside the box because everybody is thinking outside the box nowadays and they got to, they're going to see it grow and see things are going to expand and get expansion going on. So it'd be exciting to see how this happens and, Gives more exposure for the players, for the coaches, for the programs, for the cities. Uh, I think it's a great, great thing that can happen. So well, guys, look forward to that. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, a lot of great things uh, on the docket. Uh, big congratulations to Shane Beamer for being named the head coach at the University of South Carolina. Um, lots of good things to keep our eyes on. LSU, Vandy. Uh, a lot of things in the NFL that w- that we didn't even touch on uh, that we'll touch on here as we approach the end of the NFL season. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the the ACC. A lot of surprising teams uh, in a good way and some in a bad way uh, in the ACC. 
uh, that's still technically in our footprint uh, of the southeastern region uh, that that are happening. Uh, that that are with some programs that are really surprising. So we can we can get into that more um, as we as we take our path down or take our journey down this road. This is only episode six, guys. So this this is gonna this is gonna continue to grow. Um, the launch is very soon. Um, so uh, Art Nineteen site is almost up. That's a little behind the scenes info for everybody. So uh, any final words, Kurt? Just looking forward to the week ahead. Uh, college football is building up. Uh, coaches are – there's a lot of chatter going on with the coaching chatter, so we're looking forward to seeing the, the continued development of what's going to be going on in a lot of different institutions. Craig, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the words of the, uh, the, the show ESPN Sports Reporters or whatever that show was on Sunday mornings, <laughs> do you have any parting shots? Well, I'm going to be interested to see how quickly Vanderbilt pulls the trigger. Uh, on their coaching position. Will we be sitting in next week and talking about Vanderbilt having a new head coach? Be interesting. That'd be certainly exciting. So uh, for Kurt Page and Craig Ladd and uh, the SOAR athletic training that they represent, uh, I guess I represent it too a little bit, so uh, not on the level that they do, but a lot of good things going on there. This is the Coaching Chatter podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, uh, the number one podcasting network for professionals. Uh, find us, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above. Uh, we have a good thing going here, so so leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, for, for Kurt and Craig, I'm Corey Burton. This is Coaching Chatter. We wish you guys a great weekend. Enjoy the games, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.